Hello and welcome to Capture Caledonia, the tracks that take us back, the podcast with me, Ewan Petrie. Each week, I'm joined by a guest who tells me all about the places in Scotland that mean the most to them and the memories and stories associated with these particular places. Then we listen to the songs that have become the soundtrack to these wonderful memories. I can't play all the songs in full due to copyright, but I hope that you enjoy the podcast nonetheless. If you are enjoying the podcast, please make sure you subscribe to it and leave us a rating and a review. You can also find us on social media. For Facebook and Instagram, just search Capture Caledonia. And for Twitter, search Capture Cali. Please like and share the pages with all your friends and family to help spread the word of Capture Caledonia and to keep up with the latest news. If you would like to support the podcast to help with future episodes, you can now donate on my Buy Me A Coffee page, which is www.buymeacoffee.com forward slash capture Cali. Any amount, no matter how small, really goes a long way. Thank you so much for your continued support and for listening to this week's episode. You're listening to the tracks that take us back on Capture Caledonia with Ewan Petrie. This week, I am truly honoured to welcome Corrine Polwart to the tracks that take us back. Corrine is a multi-award winning songwriter and musician, as well as a theatre maker, a storyteller, a spoken word performer and author. Originally from Banknock in Stirlingshire, Corrine developed a passion for music from an early age. However, despite this passion, she actually studied politics and philosophy at the University of Dundee, graduating with a first class degree. On completion of her studies, Corrine worked as a philosophy tutor in a primary school and also for the Scottish Women's Aid Movement on issues including child protection and the rights of young people. But a career in music would soon follow. Corrine initially began to put her stamp on the folk music scene as the lead singer of Malinky. The release of their debut album Last Leaves in January 2000 also saw Corrine make the choice to leave her job and to pursue a career in music full time and she's never looked back. The release of her debut solo album, Faultline, saw her win three awards at the 2005 BBC Radio 2 Folk Awards, catapulting Corrine's career to new heights. Numerous albums, projects and career highlights have since followed, and Corrine now holds a total of seven BBC Radio 2 Folk Awards. A phenomenal achievement, but hardly surprising, given Corrine's undeniable talent for capturing any emotion and conveying it through her wonderful storytelling and effortless vocals. Corrine, thank you for joining me today. It is such a pleasure to welcome you to Capture Caledonia. Nice to meet you. Now, Corrine, I think before we talk about your choices for the tracks that take us back, I would love to just chat to you about you and your career. You've had a really varied career to date from studying philosophy at university uh, to having a period of your life initially working outside of the music industry. How have these different chapters of your life helped to shape where you are today with your music? Um, I guess, I mean, I, I think they have very much had an, an impact. Certainly the work that I did for Scottish Women's Aid around um, child protection and domestic abuse and the rights of women and children very much informs, informs my early career as a folk singer and the songs that really spoke to me and that I um, that felt really relevant. A lot of them were about women's experiences in particular. And now with my own writing, certainly I'm interested in, I guess I'm interested in issues of justice and fairness and well-being. So I think there's a definite connection there. And I guess with the philosophy, I'm a naturally curious person. 
I've got more questions than I have answers to things. <laughs> um, so I think I approach all the projects that I'm involved in, whether they're musical or in theatre or on the page writing, they're, they're all things that are that are of curiosity to me, things that I don't understand and want to make sense of. So I think they feel, although they feel like quite disparate um, aspects of a career, I think they're all connected, really. Um, they're, they're all different ways of doing the same thing. You've been involved in, in so many projects over the years, and, and on a personal level, I've enjoyed so many of them. And one that I completely fell in love with was the Scottish Songbook. What sparked that initial idea, and, and how did you actually eventually decide to settle on the songs that you included on that record? Well, the Scottish Songbook is it. So it's a covers project. All the songs on it are are songs by classic Scottish bands and artists, um, from the likes of Deacon Blue and the Waterboys and Jerry Rafferty, John Martin, right up to more contemporary bands like Churches and Frightened Rabbit. And the idea for it came from a, an exhibition at the National Museum of Scotland a few years ago. They had an exhibition of classic Scottish pop. It was 60 years, I think, or 70 years of Scottish pop. And in tandem with that, the Edinburgh Festival was curating a series of events that, that kind of like sparked off the back of the museum exhibition about Scottish pop. And they asked me to get involved. And, and I pitched an idea for, uh, you know, a night of of classic covers in a kind of folky style. And that's where it began. It became a proper labour of love um, because so many of the songs that are on this album are songs that, uh, you know, have had a huge relevance to me in the arc of my life for different reasons. Um, so it's been one of the most joyous projects I've ever been involved in. It's the one that's had the furthest reach of any project that I've been involved in. And I think I was just really keen to take pop songs seriously as kind of like documents of like social political history so that that's what i've done i mean a, a disproportionate number of them are from the 1980s which is my growing up era in central scotland and a lot of them remind me of that time and a lot of them come from very similar places of um you know the position of underdogs and they speak to a kind of melancholy um that is what draws me, I think, to a lot of songs, no matter what genre they come from. I often find myself uh, trolling the internet for for covers of, of songs, and I love the folky interpretation of of all the songs on, on that album. And I actually have a feature on my show called The Cover Corner, and I think you've probably featured um, the most on it because I love that album so much. Were there any songs that you, you wanted to do that didn't quite make the cut? Yeah, I mean, I mean, there's ten songs on the album, and we have a whole evening of, of songs that um, for for live performance. The thing that I most enjoyed putting together, which isn't on the album, is a mashup, <laughs> of it's a proper eighties mashup, of Eurythmics, Here Comes the Rain, and Bronski beats Small Town Boy. Both so they both spin around. The, there's rain is a really kind of big uh, motif in both songs. And I think my favourite arrangement is the one that we've done of those two songs spliced together. They've also both got brilliant synth kind of riff anthems and those two things work against each other as almost like counter melodies. So I think we we did a beautiful job, I think, of reframing those songs, both of which I think are quite brilliant. I think in particular, Small Town Boy is 
like a, it's just a perfect folk song, stripped of all its kind of electronic um, layers. It's essentially a narrative song. It, it reminds me very much of, of songs that are much, much older. Um, and the other song I really enjoyed, it, totally outside my normal um, musical comfort zone, is a cover of Emily Sandy's Read All About It. Um, and we, we kind of give that a proper kind of urgent percussive spin. But neither of those songs are recorded. They've only existed in a, you know, a kind of ephemeral live performance. But it gives you some indication of the breadth of uh, stuff that we were pulling into the set. Do you think there's scope to, to do a second album or will you keep those reserved just for the live performances? Um, who, who knows? I mean, it's, to be honest, it's hard to imagine when the next live performances might be at the moment. So um, I don't know. I think we'll see what happens come next year when possibly things start to open up again. But I would say it's a project that's brought me just so much joy, not just musically, but I had a, a beautiful collaboration with a visual artist from up in Murray called Jen Frankwell, who produced the most amazing commissioned art for the project as well. And a lot of that was kind of based on kind of scrapbook collage techniques pulling in photographs and ephemera and pin badges and all kinds of like little bits of flotsam into these really gorgeous images that kind of capture the heart of songs like Deacon Blue's Dignity and Big Country's Chance and Frightened Rabbits Swim Until You Can't See Land. So she did an amazing job, I think, of of um, of representing what we were doing musically in visual form. I absolutely love the artwork, actually. I'm glad you mentioned that because um, I got given a record player this Christmas and one of the first uh, records that I bought was uh, the Scottish Songbook. And it was oh, such a joy to look at that art when I opened it up because often, you know, I'm guilty of just downloading music and having it as easily accessible as it possibly can be. And you forget the joy of just buying a record and buying a CD because when I was young, I used to love opening the leaflet in an album and looking at the lyrics and learning the lyrics. And when I got your record, it was such a joy to see to see that artwork. Oh, I'm glad to hear that because actually it was it was really a, a beautiful process to to put it together. And the vinyl itself is red vinyl, which is a throwback to a wee story from when I was wee. Um, the first time that I ever spoke on the radio <laughs> was for telling really bad, tasteless 1970s jokes on Radio Clyde had a road show down at Air Beach. My grandparents lived in Air, and we used to go our summer holidays to Air every year. And um, I ended up on the Radio Clyde road show at the age of five. And for telling really awful jokes, I won a red vinyl pointer sister, twelve inch. And um, <laughs> I, I'm not—I don't remember the song at all. That was the main song on the on the on the vinyl. But I remember the redness of it and how beautiful an object it was so it was really nice to to make the vinyl red vinyl do you know something as simple as making it red just brought a lot of joy to me i remember opening it and thinking wow it's, it looks so vibrant already you know as it as you put it onto the record player yeah it was um, total indulgence <laughs> <laughs> do you know quickly just before we get on to talking scotland and, and memories there's one thing that i really wanted to ask you about just because i'm such a massive fan of this it's npr's tiny desk concert um, for people who might not know the concept, do you mind explaining what it is and, and what it was like to be a part of that? Because I'm, I, I love it so much. 
So NPR is National Public Radio in the US and they kind of produce programmes and syndicate them around the country. And their office is based in Washington, D.C. It's just a spit from from uh, from Capitol Hill. And um, yeah, they do this amazing series where they, they have little concerts in their offices of the radio um of, of the radio building and they have i mean we're talking mega artists from every conceivable genre of music rock up and do gigs literally behind the desk of the chief producer of of music at, at npr and um, bob lawson and uh, it's an amazing way to discover music and both me and inga thompson that i play with in my bands are fans of NPR and the Tiny Desk concerts. So we were playing at the Carnegie Hall in uh, in New York City, which is amazing. Um, that was in 2019. And we were booked just to do that gig and then come home, which seems ridiculous. And NPR got in touch and said, do you fancy coming to DC and doing a, a Tiny Desk concert? So we were just as thrilled to do the Tiny Desk as we were to do the Carnegie Hall because it's proper legendary, um, radio show highly recommended for just like a whole world of music that you would never otherwise discover yeah it's it's an amazing thing once you discover it on oh i discovered it on youtube through actually through watching jackson brown videos and then i realized there was ones of like taylor swift you know people like yeah. artists that big and once Absolutely. you start watching one, you end up just clicking on the next one and the next one. And when I saw that you'd done it and, and when I, I knew I was going to talk to you today, I was like, oh, I need to I need to ask about that. <laughs> yeah, it was proper, proper treat to to do that. Yep. I think it'd be a good time to move on to to your choices for the for the tracks that take us back. Now, before we talk about the places and songs that you've chosen, you yourself have actually written numerous songs that are, that are inspired by Scottish locations. And when we were chatting on the emails before before we uh, talked today, you narrowed it down to a few options for me very kindly, and I could have spoken to you about any of those options. But the one that I've chosen is a song that's written about a place near to where you grew up in Banknock in Stirlingshire. What are your memories of, of childhood and growing up in that particular part of Scotland? Well, so I grew up in a wee, a wee place called Brayface, which sits up on a hill about a mile from Banknock on the back road between Banknock and Denny. If you look out, the, my folks still live there. And if you look out the back of their house, you can see the Campsie Fells, you can see the Ockles. Um, it's all farmland and it's very open. Um, if you look out the front of their house, you look onto the central belt, the industrial belt. And the main thing that you can see from the front of their house up the hill is Grangemouth on, on the banks of the Forth. And so this whole song is kind of about that landscape, because I guess Bank Knock, you know, Bank Banknock sits on the edge of that whole Fourth Valley industrial just swathe of village and town after town after town. They just all run one into the other, and um, and Grangemouth was such a massive part of the industry when I was growing up there in the seventies and eighties. Um, that, but the weird thing is that I I found Grangemouth really beautiful when I was a wee girl, um, and my memories are. Well, they're, they're twofold. I, I used to go running at the stadium in Grangemouth with my brother. We were both keen athletes. And my memory of Grangemouth is that it was stinking because they used to let out all the effluent from the um, from the refinery there. So it was literally reeking. And I think they, they let the waste out in the evening. And so you'd be jogging around the town just thinking, this place smells so bad. <laughs> um, 
And the reality was at the time, I think, they, they produced so much waste or they, they spewed so much waste into the atmosphere that they could have heated, apparently, all of Grangemouth, Falkirk and Larbert for free if they piped it all underground. But instead, they spewed it into the atmosphere. Wow. But from my parents' house at night in the dead of winter, it looked beautiful it, because it was these tall chimneys... Um, and bright flashing lights and very strange chemical flames. So it looked properly magical from the distance of my folks' house across the Forth Valley. Um, and the other thing that feeds into the song, not just that visual landscape, but the neighbouring village to Bank Knock is, um, is Bonnybridge. Um, and, and Bonnybridge was famed during the early 90s as the UFO hotspot of the world (laughs) Um, (laughs) it really was it was like you know there were more ufo sightings in the bonnie bridge triangle that's what it became known as (laughs) like Um, the bermuda triangle i like that (laughs) yes all there were people all around from castle carey pullman um roundabout bank not bank not bonnie bridge area who'd seen ufos and um so that feeds into the song as well so there's something about uh about recognizing the complexity of industrial areas that although they're ultimately toxic you know grangemouth is ultimately a toxic place that accounts for more than 10 percent of our carbon emissions in scotland every year it's also a major provider of work and it's also oddly beautiful um and this is how things often are they're very they're complicated so the tinsel show is a song that's really about the uncomfortable beauty of a place like Grangemouth. In the east the fires are burning Spires of stone and steel Smokestack engine turning Wheel upon wheel From a window such a wonder Galaxies who've come to She sees stars and spells and spangles, sparklers in her hand. And the eyes of ages watch our tinsel show. While hireling wages steal our dreams from our Bells 
Just before we move on to your to your uh, first choice, really, of place and song for the tracks that take us back, I just want to ask you a little bit more about growing up um, in that area of Scotland. What were your sort of first influences when it came to to music, and and what sort of spurred you to to get involved with music? Well, I mean, I, when I was wee, I mean, I've just turned fifty just before Christmas. Um, it wasn't possible, really, as a kid, to have your own independent taste you know my kids my, my daughter is 10 now and she's got access to youtube and spotify and you know she can totally surf the world of music on her own terms as can my son who's in his early teens but when when i was wee um it was all about the records that were in my parents and grandparents record collections that was the only music i had access to apart from what was on the radio um and the radio was pretty limited um, so my folks, it would, I mean, the big things that I remember from their record collection would be things like Simon and Garfunkel and Jerry Rafferty, um, Cat Stevens, um, War of the Worlds. I was really into the kind of apocalyptic um, storytelling of that. So those were big records. And then my grandparents, because I spent all my holidays with them, were country western fans. So, you know, I remember Tammy Wynette and Johnny Cash and Hank Williams and, and folks like that. So I guess big stories. I mean, one of my favourite songs when I was very wee was uh, Bobby Gentry's Ode to Billy Joel. So I definitely always had an ear for for a big narrative and something going on <laughs> underneath the surface of things. So they were early influences. And then when I was able to, you know, develop my own taste, I mean, a lot of it was Scottish pop of the day. So I was a massive Ultravox, Big Country, Simple Minds fan. Um, I loved U2. It's not cool to admit that now, but I loved <laughs> I loved the eighties albums of U2 um, because they were they were pointing at something. They were pointing at kind of social political issues at that point, and I loved women songwriters. I, I remember when Suzanne Vega and Tr- Tracy Chapman came along, just being blown away by their stuff because it was totally of the moment. They were talking about child abuse, domestic abuse. You know, they were they were big, big issues written into their songs, so they were all all of those things were, were huge influences. 
And did you come from a musical family? Like, was there guitars lying around or was that something that you had to pursue yourself? I got given a guitar as a birthday present, I think when I was maybe 11 or so. Um, so there was a guitar. I had an, had an uncle that played the guitar. Um, it wasn't a it wasn't a hugely musical family. Um, the biggest influence on making music. I mean, my mum was a, a beautiful singer when she was younger, and she sang in choirs. Um, so there was an interest in music, but it wasn't like we weren't singing around the piano or anything like that. <laughs> the really big influence on making music was a school teacher from Bankier Primary School in Banknock called Malcolm Cowie, and he ran a a band in the village called the Banknock Kids. And um, I joined that at the age of 10 and it involved kids and young people. I mean, the, some of the, the older ones that were in the band were sort of 16, 17, 18. They were really cool and they played the bass and the electric guitar. <laughs> and um, so we were like a proper band and he facilitated that. And there was also um, a local taxi driver called Jackie um, who, who drove the minibus and he played the drums. Um, and another teacher called Madeline Ritchie in the end who helped as well and so it meant that the main thing that I did on a Saturday morning was was band rehearsals in the village hall in Banknock and we would go on kind of little um, tours of central Scotland so we played at kind of cottage hospitals and care homes um, we played at Strathcarran Hospice and the, the Royal Hospital at Larbert so you know, the, the upper years of primary school and the first couple of years of high school, my main thing to do, apart from run around the stadium at Grangemouth, <laughs> um, was to do actual gigs, you know, amplified gigs with an actual band. So definitely my my performing chops start there and then they stop for about 15 years. <laughs> um, you know, I barely get, I barely make a peep in, in, a, in big public places, but I think that certainly there's a spark there that I can trace to where I am now. It sounds like a wonderful thing to do, you know, create a band like that to give to give children a, an opportunity to get involved with music and also to put it into practice. I, I kind of wish I'd had something like that when when I was growing up. It's, it sounds brilliant. I think now would be a good time to, to go on, move on, sorry, to your first choice of place for the tracks that take us back. Do you mind revealing the place that you've chosen and telling us a bit about why you've chosen this place? Yeah, well, when I, when I moved from Banknock um, at the age of 17, I moved to study at university in Dundee. And um, so I studied philosophy and politics and history up there. And, and I've got really fond memories of Dundee. Um, I studied there and then I lived an extra year on after I'd finished studying in the city. And, and the university is, is kind of uh, focused down by the river um, in the city. So I spent the whole time I was there in the kind of Perth Road, Taybridge nexus. And uh, and I genuinely have just such fondness for Dundee and the people of Dundee. I think it's a like geographically beautiful place. Um, the Tay Estuary is really remarkable. Um, you know, it's our biggest river in the country. When you see the Tay from the law in Dundee or from, um, you know, from any high vantage point looking down to the river, it's genuinely magnificent. And that area around by the Tay Rail Bridge in particular, it's just beautiful. So it's, I guess my first song is inspired by that and by a writer musician that I discovered when I was living in Dundee, who's from Dundee. Um, so it's Michael Mara. 
And um, I was first given Michael Mara's music on a mixtape um, from my first boyfriend uh, who popped it through my door. I was living in a wee bed set just down by the river in Dundee. And there was a couple of Michael Mara songs on it from his first album, Gales Blue. And I've just loved him ever since then. So that was like 1992. Um, so this is Frida Kahlo's visit to the Taybridge Bar, which is from his album, Posted Sober. And it's just a beautiful piece of kind of surrealism where the, the Mexican painter Frida Kahlo, she comes and she hangs out with all the old men in the Taybridge Bar, legendary uh, pub in Dundee, and they treat her with kindness. It's a it's a gorgeous, gorgeous song. I love this song. And my dad, for one, will be delighted that you've chosen Michael Mara. He's a Dundonian and Michael Mara is is probably the got a bit of a songwriting god to him, as as he is to so many people actually. When you were studying in Dundee, how easy was it to access a culture? Because I'm 30 years old and I've got a lot of family from Dundee. And when I think of Dundee, I think of the Rep Theatre, uh, the DCA, and now the V&A. It's a city that has so much culture and, and so much going for it. Was it like that when you were studying there? Um, well, certainly there was stuff going on at the Rep when, when I was there. Um, I mean, the V&A didn't exist the contemporary, you know, DCA didn't exist, but there was gigs at places like um, Fat Sam's and the university I mean, was a good hub for lots of bands came through. I mean, the first week that I was, I was in halls in Dundee, Texas came to play, you know, there was Texas and the Big Dish and Kevin McDermott Orchestra. And so tons of the really great Scottish pop bands of the day um, played at the union in in the in the university but also yeah there were I mean by that point already Michael Mara was already a local legend in the early 90s it was really hard to get hold of that that um Gales Blue album even back then um then the main record shop in this in the city was Groucho's uh, down in the city centre so there was definitely a sense of um that music mattered in the city and theatre really mattered because the rep was very well respected and actually produced, you know, such high quality um, plays and musicals, a lot of which were rooted in Dundee language and Dundee experience. And Michael Mara, you know, in at that time and in subsequent years was in the thick of that because he wrote, he wrote a lot of music for productions through the rep theatre in Dundee. and. And those were that that kind of work was genuinely sellout popular stuff. We're not talking elitist middle class stuff. We're talking can't get a ticket for love or money because there's something about the stuff that was made there that was of the city and that people totally took to their hearts. Did you ever see the Mill Lavies when it was on? I never did, but I absolutely love the songs from it. <laughs> yeah, I actually, I saw it a, a few years ago. The, the Rep Theatre re remounted it. Must, maybe it's not a few years ago now. It's probably like six or seven years ago now. But I remember going to see it and, and being completely blown away by it as a fan of Michael Mara's music at that point and also just as, as, a, as a piece of theatre. Wonderful. Oh, totally. Well, I think what he does, like, that's it's complete genius in terms of songwriting is he manages to make stuff that's absolutely scabrous funny, but he's never... So you get these brilliant songs where people are... Uh, they're sort of... They're mocking one another, but never cruelly. I don't know how, how he does it. He manages to be 
both totally down to earth, but never unkind. Like he's never unkind about anybody. Um, but nor is he romantic or sentimental. There's a kind of hardness and an edge to how he writes about people that everyone understands. And uh, and it's just, it's it's genius how he manages to do it. And Frida Kahlo would be a great example of just a flight of imaginative fancy. Um, as, you know, as in why, why on earth wouldn't the globally renowned Mexican artist Frida Kahlo be reincarnated in a bar in Dundee? Why, <laughs> why not? And wouldn't those men um, treat her with dignity when she arrived? So the whole premise for the song is says a lot about Michael Mara's wit and Michael Mara's heart. Absolutely. I... I have a sort of, you know, I remember my parents actually used to be involved with helping to run a venue where we, where I grew up. And it's a place um, in Bankery near Ab in Aberdeenshire called the Wood End Barn. I don't know if you've ever... Um, I love it. Yeah. Beautiful venue. And I, I have a real memory of probably being, I must have been 10 or 11 years old. And Michael Mara was performing there. And my dad was obviously such a big fan and he'd helped organize it. So I met him afterwards. And I really wish now, like being older and being way more... Uh, grateful for his music and his genius that I, I you know I could meet him again um, now but I hold that memory actually quite dear to me and, and we've talked about Frida Kahlo's visit to the Taybridge bar which we're going to listen to very shortly a wonderful song and a wonderful ode to Dundee Michael Mara for me seems to speak to different moments in my life I've told you that my dad's from Dundee so that holds a special connection but there's another one of his songs uh, called The Lonesome Death of Francis Clark uh, which is about a relative of his that died in in the Yukon uh, in Alaska. And I spent a bit of my childhood in Alaska. So as I've grown up, I find that when I listen to Michael Mara, I can relate to his songs in so many different ways. They seem to just speak to me. And I absolutely love that about his music. Oh, totally. And the Francis Clark I've covered actually live before. Um, there's a, you, can, you can find a recording of me singing it with my brother and Inga um, if you Google around online. We made a little film of it. I think that's one of my favourite of all his songs is The Lonesome Death of Francis Clark. Um, yeah, again, it's, it's like it's, he's got a capacity to, to make very local things or to connect what's really local in particular to what's huge and worldly. And Francis Clark's a great example of that because it's inspired by his own family and the connection to Alaska. Um, and yeah, it, it's a very deft thing to write with such particularity and fondness for one place, which is Dundee, and yet say things that are really huge and universal. And it's actually th the reason he's able to say these huge universal things is because he writes with such detail um, and understanding about the place that he is is from so yeah to me he's the he's the king of songwriting um to come out of scotland he's my favorite of all the songwriters to come out of scotland and there's quite a few to choose from um and i and like you i also wish i had been slightly more confident while he was alive because i did i met him on many occasions and performed with him and was very fond of him um but always felt daunted by his brilliance <laughs> um, and I think at this point in my life I would have had the confidence to sit alongside him and and be less daunted by him and more just another human 
in his in his company. So I do wish that were possible. But what a bunch of songs he's left us. Well, let's revel in his genius for a minute and uh, and also listen to the actually the introduction. You pointed that out to me in in the email, and I think it's a, a great idea to listen to the introduction that he does um, for Frida Kahlo's visit to the Taybridge Bar, and then listen to the song itself. This next song is also dedicated to a well-known Dundee artist. The song was, uh, this is a song for Jimmy Howie, the wonderful James Howie, the painter and dancer. Yes, let's hear it for Jimmy Howie. Yay. <clears throat> He's an inspirational man, Jimmy. Um, this song concerns um, the Mexican artist Frida Kahlo who is uh, one of my favourites. Um, it seems that no matter how beautiful Frida's work gets, um, there's always trouble involved, um, which I quite like, I have to admit. And um, I wanted to make a drawing of her. She was married to a man called Diego Rivera, who's a wonderful artist, but a semi-pro husband. <laughs> Wasn't very good at that game. And uh, she actually married him twice. That's very suspicious, I always think. So I wanted to make a drawing of her. And in this drawing, I wanted Frida to be happy, healthy, and above all, single. So I tried the drawing, it wasn't very good. So I decided I would write a song. And in the song, in order for Frida to be happy, healthy, and above all, single, I set the song after her death. Frida dies and she goes up to heaven, and she would just get straight in, but they can't get the pearly gates open. They've jammed. They've not been maintaining them, like the fourth bridge or the health service. <laughs> and so, St. Peter asks Frida if she would mind spending the interim period in the Taybridge Bar. I thought it's a reasonable idea of Hades. And limbo was abolished quite a while ago. I would have liked to have been on the committee that sat on that one. I would have expected them all to abstain, in fact. But no, they abolished limbo. So, here's the song, and it's called Frida Kahlo's Visit to the Taybridge Bar. And said she was a woman to whom life had been cruel And she lived with a fat man of the naive school He liked his beer and he put it about But she truly loved him till the lights went out Then she made her way up to the pearly gates She saw St. Peter, he was pumping weights And he said you lift upon this falling star and make your way down to the Taybridge Bar. No more Karina, I actually think we could speak for hours just about Michael Mara, uh, but let's move on to uh, the next place that you've chosen to talk about today. Uh, where have you chosen and why? Um, I've chosen Orkney. Um, it's one of my favourite places that I've been lucky enough to visit many, many times um, in my life. Um, I visited there a lot as a musician. Um, the Orkney Folk Festival is, it's in a very close tussle with a couple of other island festivals <laughs> um, for my favourite festival anywhere in the world. Um, what's beautiful about it, if you've never been to the Orkney Folk Festival, is that the 
the gigs all happen. They happen on many islands in many different communities. And a lot of the time when you're when you're heading to a gig, you're traveling, you're kind of effectively traveling in tandem with the band or the bands that are going to play at those gigs or on the ferries uh, to, to those gigs. So it's a beautiful, beautiful festival. I've had just such good times there. It's also one of the first places I ever visited independently as an adult. Um, I spent all my childhood holidays in air. <laughs> so going to Orkney when I was in my early 20s felt properly exotic. Um, and yeah, I, I mean, I, I love it for so many reasons. I also, in, in the past, over the past decade, I, I was involved in a, a beautiful residency on a, a boat called the Swan, um, which was a residency of artists and scientists um, around the issue of climate change. And I spent um, five days sailing around um, Orkney and Hoy in particular. And that's just a, such a vivid memory of, of kind of camaraderie and curiosity. Um, so just a, so, so many beautiful connections with Orkney. It's a stunning, stunning, harsh landscape, a, a really, really fascinating history. There's very few places in Scotland where you can see so many layers of history within such a short distance of each other. Um, just, yeah, it, there's, there's so much to it that, that personal connections, historic resonances. It's just a fascinating place. The Orkney Folk Festival must be doing something right because you're actually the third guest this year to choose Orkney and the Folk Festival as, as a place. I think Adam Holmes described it as heaven if you're into folk music, um, which is quite, quite the no. comment. <laughs> absolutely, it's absolutely brilliant. One of my fondest memories of the Orkney Folk Festival um, was they, they used to run a thing on the on the final day of the festival, the final Sunday, called the Orkney versus the rest of the world football match. <laughs> and basically it would, it would be all the Orcadian musicians versus all the visiting musicians. And I have a very clear memory very, I mean, of being extremely hungover <laughs> on a Sunday. Um, me and my brother and Inga and musicians like Karen Casey and we were all in the rest of the world football team um, playing uh, out, out, out in in Orkney. <laughs> Everyone taking it super seriously. Um, loved it. Absolutely loved it. So there's this. There's a kind of proper sense of a. Uh, oh, it's proper joyous. Proper joyous place to be. I couldn't recommend it more highly. The Orkney Festival, the Collinsey Festival, Kiel Kalasa, um, and the Shetland Folk Festival. Magnificent. I need to add them all to my list. I also would love to be there to watch this football game. Can you can you go and watch it if you're there? You can watch it if you're there. I'm not even sure if they still do it now. I think I think maybe the ones that started it, are, which who are all my age, are maybe getting a wee bit past it for a Sunday <laughs> football match. <laughs> I'm not sure I would be up to a football match at this point in my life, but we'll see. Brilliant. Uh, you, you've talked as well. Um, Orkney, obviously, you mentioned there, such a, a rich place full of wonderful history. Um, you mentioned you obviously studied history as part of your degree. That must have been quite quite fascinating for you, having places like um, Scarabray and the Ring of Brodgar, you know, close by to go and sort of get inspiration from. I think what's amazing is, yeah, you've got that arc of history. So you have these ancient sites like Scarabray, you have um, Viking sites like Maze Howe, and then you have more contemporary historical sites like um, Scapa Flow, um, amazing song, by the way, about, about one of, one, I have a, uh, my friend Chris Trever, who's from Orkney, 
has a beautiful song about the the sinking of the German fleet. I love the that song. Suffering of the German fleet in Scapa Flow. It's just an, an amazing place to visit um, as well. Um, they do a good whiskey as well. What's, yeah, well, I've never, I've never tried whiskey. It's, it's an absolutely fascinating place to visit. And then you've got, you know, the Churchill Barriers and the Italian Chapel. I mean, I had a really beautiful experience of singing in the Italian Chapel when I was part of the Cape Farewell Climate Change Project. I sang Hamish Henderson's Freedom from All Ye in the, in the Italian Chapel, which is quite a resonant place to sing it because Hamish Henderson, um, the great songwriter, folklorist, um, was stationed in Italy in the army during the Second World War and he helped to broker the peace between uh, the Allied forces and Italy. He was part of the negotiating team um, that was involved in brokering the peace. He was a multilingual guy. So there was something particularly symbolic about singing Freedom Camogli in the Italian chapel. So, so many layers of history. And the other thing about Orkney is the ecology of the place as well incredible seabird colonies and sea mammals um, so it's it's deeply fascinating I think on on many many levels I, I w I'm so looking forward to getting to go to Orkney again. You said earlier that you used to holiday holiday to, to air um, when you were a child and was was Orkney the first island that you actually went to? Now technically the first island that I went to was the Isle of Cum Cumbria um, uh -huh. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> a little bit more domestic, um, but but when I think on it, um, gosh, do you know I think Orkney, Orkney may that maybe they may be the first isles that I that I had visit visited. I certainly visited Skye and Orkney around the same time. I've been to many more islands since. But it wasn't until my early twenties that I, I got beyond Millport. <laughs> <laughs> are Are there any that you haven't been to that that you'd like to 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 explore? Oh. There's absolutely loads. I've never been to Jura or Tyree. Um, I've never been to Rum. Um, yeah, there's so many. I've never been to either of the Uists. Uh, so I've been fortunate to go to lots, but there, oh, there's so many. So yeah, take me there. I, I'm, I'm all ready for it. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I have Robert Robertson um, from Tidelines chose the Tyree Music Festival and he described it so beautifully that I was like, I, I have to go there because I've never been to Tyree, but I'm, I'm desperate to. And that's one thing about doing this podcast is, well, doing it during a lockdown as well, actually, is that you start to, to make a list of all these places that you're going to go to as soon as, as soon as possible. So I need to add, add a few more places now that I've spoken to you as well. Now you've yeah, chosen a, a song that reminds you of Orkney. Do you mind explaining why you've chosen this particular song? Well, there's lots I could have picked from Orkney and, and, you know, Chris Reaver would have been an obvious contender to pick a song from. But over the past few years, I've really been enjoying the music of Erlen Cooper, who's a composer, songwriter, sound artist from Orkney. He's based in London now um, and he's not a folk musician. He he's come kind of comes out of the sort of classical electronica kind of background but he's obviously really interested in folklore um, and myth and ecology and he's produced a series of albums that are completely infused with um, Orkney life and imagery um, so I'd, I'd urge anyone to check out his work if they've not heard it. They tend to be sort of cinematic sounding recordings, a lot of them are instrumental, textural kind of music um, but he he does have some which are which are are more song like or that include spoken word. Um, so this is a piece called Har, and I just think it's very beautiful. 
and evocative, but I could have picked any any number of um of pieces by Erland Cooper. I just think they're very they they feel like they reek of place. Um and I think he's just a really interesting writer. Just before we listen to this song, I just want to say thank you so much for coming on the show today and, and talking to me about all these different places in Scotland, from discussing the genius of, of Michael Mara to talking about Grangemouth and, and you running around there. That's an image I'm going to have in my head now whenever I, I look at Grangemouth. I live in Dollar, so I'm often up in the Ockles oh, gazing over there. <laughs> you know what? If I'd known that, I've got a song about Muckert just outside Dollar. So Do you? Yeah, I've got, I've got a song called... Matsuo's Welcome to Muckert, which is about um, yeah a Japanese gardener who lived in the village of Muckert, not far from Dollar. So yeah, I'll have to. Anyway, I'll go and listen to that. Check <laughs> that one out. It's really interesting history of a Zen garden at Cowden Castle, very close to Dollar. Do you know it's one of my favourite things to do is actually run. Um, there's a road that sort of goes up behind, actually past the Japanese garden. I run up there to Muckert and onto the Rumbling Bridge. It's so oh, lovely that's... just around that area. So I'll have to listen to your song whilst I'm doing my run. <laughs> I've, got, I've got really fond memories of going up Dollar Glen when I was wee. It was one of the kind of treat places to to visit to when when we were little. It was kind of dramatic to go to, to go to there and go to the Rumbling Brig. So I, I know I know that neck of the woods well. Oh well, well, thank you so much. I've really enjoyed chatting to you today. Uh, so thank you so much for giving me some of your time. No bother. Thanks a lot. Good luck. Listening to the tracks that take us back on Capture Caledonia with you and Petrie. Thank you so much for listening to Capture Caledonia, the tracks that take us back. If you're enjoying the podcast, please remember to subscribe and to leave us a rating and a review. Please also go on social media and like and share the pages with all your friends and family. A little reminder that on Facebook and Instagram, just search Capture Caledonia, and on Twitter, search Capture Cali. Go on like, share, post, comment about it, and help spread the word of Capture Caledonia. If you want to support the podcast, remember you can go onto my Buy Me A Coffee page, www.buymeacoffee.com forward slash Capture Cali. Any amount that you can afford to donate to support the podcast will really go a long way and help to ensure that we can keep the podcast going in the future. Thank you so much for your continued support, and I look forward to seeing you next week.